Welcome to Daring to Be Happy with Leela B, the podcast that invites you to show up, play big, be courageous, and inspire you that through meditation you can find peace and live happy. So let's just get started. Today, my guest is Emma Ferris, and in 2010, she had what she describes as her handbrake moment. This was a moment that would make her question everything she believed she knew as a clinical physiotherapist and well-being practitioner. And on a personal level, it nearly brought her to her knees. So the discovery and learning that Emma undertook to get through some very tough times would lead her to discover what true wellness looks like and the critical link between effective breathing and health and happiness. So today, Emma is the trailblazer behind the butterfly effect. (laughs) And so she's a wellness architect, a breathing geek, (laughs) and someone who is truly, madly, deeply committed to teaching the world to breathe effectively. Mm. And so Emma is a creator of the Big Exhale Breathing Course, which she launched last year in 2017. And she's a public speaker, an acupuncturist, a Pilates instructor, and a registered physiotherapist with only 12 years clinical experience. Not only that, she's a busy lady with a busy family. (laughs) And she has helped her patients recover from dysfunctional breathing patterns, injury, stress, chronic fatigue, hyperventilation, depression, and chronic neck and back pain. Hi. <laughs> That's a big intro. How do you my, get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> my kids wake me up. Yeah. <laughs> They're my alarm clock, so. And I should also add that I'm joined here with Emma in beautiful Glenorchy mm. in her lovely home in this little piece of paradise that is actually literally called paradise. Yeah. Thank you for coming and joining me here. It's such an exceptional day as it's well. It's beautiful and it's been so nice. I've had a couple of days camping up here. We got to go to the major social event of the year in this yep. tiny community the races in the weekend and um this is one of like my spiritual happy places Mm. that's why i came here it's very much a grounding a place where you can get peace and quiet which is sometimes we need in life and Mm. for me where i was in in my in my wellness journey and who i was being and what i was doing i needed a big shift so Mm. i moved to a really remote town that's at the end of a road (laughs) it was like an (laughs) island Maybe 400 people, yeah. same amount of horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really eclectic group. Yeah, it is. Um, but you weren't here in 2010, were you? No, I was in Wanaka. Yeah. And so we, I talked in, earlier, you mentioned this handbrake moment. Mm. Why don't we – that feels like a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, actually, it's funny because you don't talk about it for a while and everyone has those moments in life. Yeah, absolutely. Those stressful moments. And I think what I realized is that – I feel like I've been given this belief system that was that life is cruisy, we're all good, you work hard, you play hard, you hit your t- targets mm-hmm. of, of you know, you, you, you get married, have a job, do a career, then babies come along and all these things just tick along. And then my life, um, it was doing that path, but I just didn't feel like I was in control of it a lot of the time. It was full. I decided not to go and do the big Kiwi OE thing. Mm-hmm. And I set up my own business after quite a, an ugly experience of working with an employer. And I thought, actually, I'm not really enjoying this. I, I think there's a different way of doing it. And what I learned is that business is really hard. Yes. <laughs> and it's really exhausting. <laughs> and then I, I kind of a few years into it, running my own physio practice and Pilates studio. I built a team. There were wonderful people that I worked with. But I was just burning myself at mm. every end. Um, I'd become, got married. 
Um, Yay! To, to, yeah, it was lovely. It was a really lovely stage of life, lovely guy. And then uh, somehow we thought, yeah, let's just have kids. This is a good time. We're young. Let's get it over and done with. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing else going on in life. And then I got pregnant. And part of my genetic background is in my sisters and my family is that we often get a little bit sick with pregnancies. And, you know, pregnancies are often joyful and people struggle to get pregnant. So I was really lucky that, it, you know, I was like, okay, that ticked along. That was part of the process. But when I was pregnant, I got uh, very sick with a condition called hyperemesis gravatum. Um, and a good friend of ours yes. <laughs> was also affected. So she was my uh, kind of role model I'd seen go through it. And I realized that this is, I can't do this yet. I can't do it this way anymore. So, so it's basically like the worst morning sickness in the world. Yeah, like the worst hangover for months and months and months, <laughs> just chronically. And I remember somebody being sick and having like a stomach bug for a day and they're like, this is terrible. And I said to them, just imagine that for four or five months or yeah. seven or eight. Yeah. Because that's what it was like. And you just debilitated. You can't can't be yourself. So you're just lacking in energy. It's a chronic illness, but you know there's an end game, mm. which is the hardest, you know. People have these diseases and illnesses that know they're not – they may not be able to work through, but I knew there was an end game. I was going to get a baby at the end. Yeah. So it was kind of like head down, bum up, just try and focus. Is it something that actually puts the baby in danger? Is the baby generally fine? They're just generally fine yeah. because they take what they want. They just, they just take, take everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the body's response to the hormone shift. Uh, and what I learned was that by being in a stressed state before I was pregnant, mm-hmm. rushing, talking fast as I can, doing so much and not finding what balance was, where calm was, <laughs> what that even looked like in my life, then I'd already put my nervous system in a, in a level that was breathing faster. So I breathed too much carbon dioxide. And the hormones that came along with pregnancy made me breathe even faster, which brings on the nausea. So I had to learn pretty fast that I needed to change some things. But in that moment, it's very hard. So I just kind of, kind of had to get through it. Had my little beautiful boy Baxter, so he's now seven. And then I thought, yep, great, I'm, I'm fine now, I can recover. But I was really postnatally depleted, not depressed, mm-hmm. but just running on empty for a very long time, which I think a lot of mothers can be. And the exhaustion, I mean, I think there's a lot of postnatal or post-traumatic stress for any mm-hmm. of those illnesses and conditions. So it took me a while, and working with my other friend that was going through it, to realize actually this had a bigger impact psychologically than I realized at the time. And it felt very much like, because it was, I was having a baby and it wasn't something that was, that everybody else could see. Everyone else is having good pregnancies or they were fine. It's like, well, why can't you just get on with it? So you play mind games with yourself with any sort of thing that's going on. And I, you know, pushed myself back to work. I had a business that was trying to run and I got through it. And it was, I, I realized after that point that, you know, eating well and, exercising it isn't enough and all my experience as a physiotherapist and working with you know, trainers and coaches and health professionals is no one was looking at this mm. they'd missed this felt like a really big piece that we were all focusing on the ambulance at the bottom of the hill mm-hmm. and they weren't going to the fact that the way that we our body reacts to life is what gets us to that broken point whatever that is. So that was my life experience. And I've had more along the way, as you do, and some are stronger and bigger than others. But for me, that was one that I was like, okay, I've got to change things. But I didn't quite learn my lesson the first time. (laughs) So when I was pregnant with my second child, that was a lovely little surprise. My little girl, Samara, I was really sick. And I was in and out hospital. And I had eight weeks where I couldn't look after my baby boy. And I'd have mums that go, you know, I can't be away for a day from their, from their kids. And I thought, I actually lost two months of that time with my child. And I um, 
and I was so tired and exhausted that time, <laughs> I went and got help mm-hmm. because I knew there was going to be a few months ahead. So, um, and I'm really good about talking about it, but you know, sometimes as things come up, mm-hmm. you go, I was just was so unwell and so dropped down for a long time that when you come out the other side, it's really refreshing and knowing that there are things you can do to help pull back up. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was my moment where I went, I've got to change things. I've got to change things in my life. So I decided to sell my business to take space and time with my kids. But I was always hungry for a way of looking at, well, why are we doing it this way? Why are we living this way? What are these belief structures we've got stuck into that shape us to drive, to to not actually look at how we work in communities. Like I found that we were, we were working in these isolation. We weren't actually sitting and stopping with people. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't having the conversations I really wanted to have in life. And that changed when I moved to the small town. Mm-hmm. And I allowed myself space to do that. And it's been a big, a big process to kind of go, well, how do I help others? Because I think that's part of it when you go through a life experience like like that, whether it's chronic illness or depression or anxiety or grief, as we've been talking about you and I this morning, sometimes there's no right way of doing it, but it, it fuels you to to change your life. And then for me, it's to, to change the way that I treat patients as a therapist, but also to put it out there on a bigger scale, which is what's inspired me to be like, we need to get people to understand that the reaction that we have to life and stress, which is so normal, has a big impact on our nervous system and our mm, body. Yeah. And that comes down to how we breathe. It's the one thing that is both conscious and unconscious. Yeah. And so, well, you know, we talked before about the fact that the this podcast has been a lot about meditation. And I'm not technically a meditation teacher. How do you, you know, it's quite interesting coming on here and being... Well, yeah, you are the first uh, non-meditation teacher, and not only that, non-ascension meditation teacher that I've had on this show. So... Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> you made it. <laughs> you made the cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because as I said earlier, yeah, the show has never been intended to be strictly about one form of meditation. Mm. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm excited about in this season is to start delving more into that. It's just that that's my main source of context. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. You talk about that connection or how you came to find breathing as a meditation practice because Mm. I know it is quite common to have a breath-based practice amongst various types of meditation but for ascension meditation that I practice it's not breath-based and I know when I I first started it took me a while to get my head around that because previously my experience had been just through yoga and say pranayama and shavasana Mm -hmm. Um, and the one other meditation practice that I had tried was Mm breath-based so it took me a while to get out of the I used to do my meditation practice with my breath which was not the instructions yeah <laughs> so you kind of like do a little sideline little we well i was just like we, inter- we introduce these ascension attitudes which are just short phrases you know that you think but i would do it with my breath mm. which um isn't actually necessary at all it took me a while to to kind of move away from that and not that it, it was just a habit actually because mm. the breath i think is a really powerful thing and it can it, well <laughs> It's quite it's habitual, quite right? It's quite habitual. It is quite habitual. When I was doing the research into it, though, because for me, I was exploring so many different avenues of it. You know, we do it seventeen thousand times a day. So there's kind of there's there's some good ways and there's some ways that are not so good. Yeah. And like we get into habits, like you said, with the stress and the triggers of life. 
when I was researching it, because I was exploring the meditation, the mindfulness, and, you know, obviously mindfulness is this big trend and everything. Yeah, so people yeah. going there, but we've been doing it for a long time. You know, it's been around for a while. And what the research was showing me in regards to meditation and mindfulness is that people that have been practicing it for a long time can go from top-down regulation, so they can go from the head down to the body to calm the body. Mm-hmm. But when you're first starting out, the research was showing that you need to start from the breath work. And I think that's, for me, was my experience. So when I tried meditation several years ago and I'd come back and forth to it, it didn't fit right for my body type at the time because I was pushing it hard, I was breathing fast, I was adrenaline-based, and I loved to, you know, feel things. And to calm the body and just to sit and be was a very unusual sensation, a great sensation. And as a lot of my patients I work with, they kind of go, oh, I feel drugged, or I, you know, I'm just not used to the sensation of being so chilled mm. and actually that's because we're not taught how to do that in our day-to-day lives we're just taught to be up and our nervous system is not designed for that so i find it interesting the the ideas of or the way the ascension works because also with breath work you can't just focus on that that's just your tool to kind of get the body too calm yeah. so then you can go and focus on those other parts of it that are actually driving it so your thought process what your what your belief structures are what's happening in your lives some of the things you can control and some things you can't so how does that work with ascension then? How does that link together? It, it's, it's quite similar. You're using the breath as a vehicle mm. to settle the body and then obviously settle the mind because the mind and body are connected. Absolutely. We simply use um, what we call an ascension attitude, mm-hmm. a short phrase technique that we think, and that does exactly the same thing as the breath, essentially. Yeah. It, it kind of goes right into the heart of the nervous system, mm. allows the mind to rest, which allows the body to rest, which allows the body to, because it's resting, to start healing. Yes. Healing is an active process, so if the body's active, the mind becomes active, mm. and it becomes the cycle of mind and body. Yes. Resting and healing. Don't you think it's always been, from when I was brought up with it as well, that we've been taught that the mind and the body are so separated, and it's been such a frustrating piece to go, no, we are we are one. You don't work without without that. So. Yeah. And when, it, when you see that, it's so blindingly obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I'm nervous, my tummy feels funny. Yeah. absolutely and their connection with the emotions and how that all flows through and i just think people can often be like they're they're walking around headless like they're detached from their from what's actually happening in there and we're not actually experiencing it so and i for me i I struggled with the process of learning how to meditate and it's still a journey isn't it going into that and i'm loving learning more but my practice for myself of calming my body is is still breath-based but then i can actually play with other stuff i might use you know, the usual apps that are out there or that they help to, to unwind and take, talk you through it because sometimes my brain still needs that. And I've never done a full like month or a Vipassana training. I've got someone that's saying to me, you need to try Vipassana. And just and I'm like, I don't think it's for me. <laughs> I think it might break me. <laughs> well, I think Vipassana is so interesting because – and it's often another myth that I hear from people who got some experience with meditation or are curious about meditation. Is that, and that's what I kind of feel Vipassana kind of plays on a little bit, is that there's some kind of suffering or pain mm. must be experienced in order to get to the other side of it where peace in, is going to be. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Yeah. Why do we have to 
suffer to get to the other side of something and there's something nice on the other side. It's exactly. such bullshit. It is such bullshit. <laughs> because then you're going to suffer again the next bit that comes through. So, like, why don't we just learn about how we cope with that suffering? Let's which just is not, get, isn't I mean, it? Let it go. So, like, with Ascension, they always say that it's a path of joy. It's a practice of joy. Suffering may or may not occur. But if it does, that's your choice. It's not, yeah. it's not a consequence of the technique itself. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which is why, you know, it doesn't, you can sit however, or lie or position yourself however you like. It's yeah. not about being physically uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And that for me as well. So I don't sit and meditate and do my breathing training. I am fully about lying down, bolting under knees, support the head, support the body so that the body is in the best position to allow the, the breathing to work and therefore the mind to go. Yeah. Yeah. And do other techniques that might help me to get there as well and look at, well, why is that? body staying stressed where is that tension being held where can i relax and 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 where why is that area in the body being stiff so there's different ways of physically working through it that i come from but knowing that the mind is the driver and the emotions yeah. the emotions are a big one for me because it's some of a geek i think i said before is that the there's some really good research showing that connection between the emotions that we have and our breathing patterns okay so the breathing patterns can be individual for different people so they can actually be you can breathe a different way than i can breathe we're still getting air in we're getting air out but the muscles we may use or the way that we do it, the rhythm can be different. And that's kind of what I focus on is breathing, retraining that pattern. And so there's a researcher I've got called Pierre Philpot. And I love this guy because I thought he just, did, you know, he's thinking about things in a different way. He's going, we know that our emotions drive stress and therefore our breathing response. And But what if the breathing response could drive the emotions and we get stuck in that cycle, which we can with grief and suffering? Mm. You know, we choose to stay in that feeling sadness and sometimes can we change to joy? So he looked at uh, four um, emotions, sadness, joy, fear, and anger. And he had two groups. So he had group A and group B. And group A, he made them think of these four emotions, joy, sadness, fear, and anger. And then he looked at their breathing pattern and got them to describe it. And each emotion had a set different breathing pattern. And so I see it clinically. So the fear breathing pattern is up into the chest. We hyperinflate. We hold the breath, often very similar to grief. Yep. The grief breathing pattern. And then you've got sadness, which is that drop down breathing. So you're low, you're slumped, you, you know, you can't, your chest is forward. You can't get the air into the diaphragm, still not using that good breathing muscle. And then you've got joy, which is nice and open, your belly breathe, and it's all happy. And then you've got anger, which is that gripping, that using the muscles around your tummy, the external obliques, to force the air out. So it's quite a faster breath. And you can have chaotic breathing too. But those, those four breathing patterns, they saw that by thinking of these emotions, you change your breathing pattern. Then group B had a another exercise. They had to do those breathing patterns for each emotion. Then they were asked, well, what emotion do you feel? And it was all either joy, sadness, fear, or anger. And so when you can go into a place of joy, think of joy, and find something that you, you know, I think what I'm hearing from you with Ascension Meditation is about as well, it's changing your internal monologue and dialogue with it, and yet you can find joy breathing, then you get there faster. So you go top down and bottom up, which I find is when people go, oh, I can change it one way, awesome. And then I can change it the other way with the way we think, the way we feel. That's really exciting. Mm. So mm. basically, if I want to experience more joy, I can consciously choose to breathe, breathe in way. a joyful pattern, yeah. breath pattern. Absolutely. And it makes so much sense. As you're describing it, and you you start moving your body, I unconsciously yeah. start matching it, it, and you can feel it. 
Absolutely. The constriction and the expansion. Yeah. And the differences. And we just adopt it without knowing it. So mm. that's where it comes back to those triggers in life. Like mm. I'm honest, that's, that's been one of my big triggers is, you know, going through illness and, and pregnancies and stuff. And then, yep, having a baby that's full on. Um, and then I've gone through a marriage separation as well. And you go through the grief of that and life and, and it's all things come up and I can feel my body doing it and I can see my patient's body's staying stuck there until someone, you know, puts the mirror up and goes, there's another way of calming your body and getting you out of that because staying stuck in that fear, anxiety or sadness breathing pattern has a knock-on effect to your whole nervous system and the muscles and that's where I see people coming in with the anxiety or Mm. the fatigue, the pain, you know, that's the big one. And even being more accident prone oh absolutely as well your balance goes off because you're using the wrong muscles yeah so as much as it's about the mind the body gives us lots of tools that we can change we can release the muscles we can stretch the ones that are our stress muscles and then actually have a big impact on to how easier it is to meditate like if i know i'm tight around my hips and pelvis and i try and lie down and do my breathing practice it won't let go until i release those muscles so there's again lots of different ways to get to that place of finding calm mm. Finding joy. Yeah. You know? Amazing. So you developed the big exhale breathing course. Is that the name of the technique as well? No, there's a lot. I'm a bit of a mongrel. So <laughs> I, I, like I did a lot of learning the last few years. I've looked at different trainings. There's part of um, bits of it from the Bradcliffe breathing training, which is a physio-based one. There's the Buteyko. There's a lot of the yoga, Vipassana stuff. And what I found is people need to understand the why. Yeah behind it and understand the stress response which is both good bad and when you go through grief or life changes ugly so there's things that you can control on that process so i've tried to break it into snippets that people can understand which is often what you know reading a book is not very easy for everybody to learn so and these techniques often need to be visually taught so then you can then feel it at home I would prefer to work one-on-one with everybody in the world. Of course. But there's just not as much time as <laughs> my full life already. Yeah. And so I want people to actually take away these small, simple things that even the, the first five days of the course, which is free, people can do. And that's really exciting because people still learn about the pattern, you know, like the inhale and the exhale is not equal. You know, there's different ways of doing it. And you could be in a pattern of breathing, this hyperinflation or I call it inflated ivy, so people can start putting characters to it. If they take a breath in now, you can feel yourself stuck up here and then breathe out a little bit and then breathe in again. So people get stuck with a short breathing pattern up into the upper chest and shoulders. It's not very nice. And so take a breath out long. <laughs> and people don't realize that they're either breathing in too quick and too long mm. and they're not actually exhaling enough. So that's why the big exhale was the name of the course because if you can actually learn to lengthen your exhale, to let the air out, you'll get to joy breathing in the first place because when you expand and over-breathe, which often is taught in some of the um, either yoga or meditation practices as well where it's these big full breaths yeah. and actually that's not quite calming for the nervous system. It's awareness of your breathing but it's not using the, the, the ideal breathing pattern. So that big, big belly breathing muscle we have inside the diaphragm, so inside the tummy, the diaphragm is a 360-degree muscle. And most of the time, we're not even using portions of it. So we just go, let's do this one up in my neck and shoulders, and I'll get air in here. And we get stuck in that pattern of doing things, and then we feel exhausted at the end of the day because we haven't stopped, paused, and actually used the calming muscle, that big belly breathing, that allows us to rest. So it's the habits that... Uh, that add up so for me my meditation is the 
every breath you take. It's a bit of the old sting song. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's how you breathe in every moment that can trigger you to become more exhausted, more stressed, more or more pain you might feel an experience because pain is an experience not actually in the body itself it's what the brain is interpreting so So what's your experience with that actually because i think yeah pain is very curious like that Mm. and it's a big thing for people to wrap their heads around i think sometimes to understand that perhaps pain is not i've heard it said that pain in the present moment can't exist because pain is actually just a future projection of a past experience absolutely (laughs) because what well, you, well, you still have this, um, if you step on a nail, mm. okay, you're going to have an acute pain response. And so that's your body's survival mechanism. Yeah. So really handy to have. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Otherwise, you just walk around with a nail in your foot. Yeah, exactly. So people, there are conditions that people have. They don't feel pain. They don't survive. Yeah. So we need it. But it is our top two inches, our thinking brain, that is actually what caused us to extrapolate things. So our past experiences with pain or somebody else's past experiences, our thoughts and beliefs that is now... We're realizing in both the physio world, the medical world, has been a big influence in why people actually stay in chronic pain. Because pain is a sensation plus an emotion. Mm. That's what it is. So it's noxious stimulation and an emotion. So in our emotional center, our limbic system, which is driven by stress in our breathing. So if you can change that, you can understand the science behind it. So we now know that people's thoughts or beliefs around pain are a big contributor to why they'll stay and experience more pain. Because those areas in the brain get, it's like an orchestra playing. So it can play a little tune. It can play a joy tune or it can play a, a tune of sadness. But it can, it can play a tune of pain. So different areas of the brain light up. And they get amplified if you've been had experiences that remind you to stay in that chronic pain cycle. And so you can have it. You definitely have pain pathway in the brain, but you have changes also at spinal cord and local levels too. So what I see from a physio is you have these muscle trigger points, these achy spots that are driven by the central nervous system down to the body. And they have these chemicals that keep being overloaded. So while we go pain is experienced in the brain, it doesn't mean that it's not real and you're not kind of going through that motion. It still is happening and, and the, the body's been driven by that. That's why acupuncture is a great tool. I use it heaps mm. because it resets the body in ways that we can't, people can't quite get to themselves. Yeah, yeah I love acupuncture. Mm. It's really trippy feeling. It's very trippy. <laughs> yeah, I use different uh, Western acupuncture and then a technique called dry needling, but it's stronger. But it's about changing their body's response when they've been stuck in stress pattern, those mm. little sore spots around the body. But what I realised is all these patients I was seeing that were in pain, a lot of it was the stress they had in their lives that they weren't dealing with. And that was contributing to the way they breathe. You get more trigger points around your body when you breathe too fast, when you have these breathing patterns that keep using the wrong muscles. So when you change that, you change the driver. It's not good enough to go and get some drugs and, you know, just have a massage every so often. It's not fixing the root cause, Mm. which is our mind and body connection. Yeah, absolutely. And the life experiences around it. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I feel like now might be a good time to play a little game. Ooh. I didn't tell you about this. No, you didn't. It's called the Playful Questions. Okay. So these are just, these may be short or long answers. It actually doesn't matter, but they're just fun. Okay. <laughs> and we've mixed them up for this series. Okay, good. So, number one is what is your most memorable meal? Does it have to be a food group? Like, So, if I'm going to be any meal? Yeah. It's chocolate, which is not your meal. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm going to have an ex- – actually, no, I've got one, one other memorable meal. 
And it was with my sister in London, who's yeah. had a big year going through breast cancer. Yeah. And I went over a few years before this, and I went out for a night with her and her friends to a place that was just uh, like a sensory overload. And even though I thought it was the food that it was about, yeah. it was these women and the laughter that we had that was just sensational. Yeah. And I think it was its definitely an incident that I won't repeat there that I got into trouble with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds terrible. But it was playful and it was fun, and I think that's what makes it a, a wonderful, yeah. wonderful experience. And that's cool. Like it's not always just about the food, but it's the environment and the location and the oh and the company, and it's yeah. that whole combination of elements. Absolutely, and it's a place I'd never go to. I can't think the name what it was, but it had the the menus popped up, and it was just the food was it was really random, yep. but loved it. Awesome, love it. Okay, what is your superpower? I would say. I would say it's breathing now. <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> dorky, but I think it is. It's my way of actually keeping myself sane. Yeah. And sharing it with the world, yeah. just sharing it there. Is there anything else like that you just, things or stuff that comes to you easily? No, I'm very, my, actually my superpower is to be reading people's bodies. So my patients get freaked out because I'm like, well, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. Yep. They're like, what have you done? You haven't even touched me yet. <laughs> yeah, but you're showing me these things. Yeah. So it's quite annoying though because when you go out in public and you watch people, you just can't stop at staring at patterns. <laughs> people watch you're watching the way some, they walk. Yeah, I'm like, like, oh, oh that one's breathing wrong or that one's legs not. <laughs> the are going. And can't switch off. <laughs> What's your most joyful, happiest memory? It's a weird one. It was by myself actually. That's Which, okay. Yeah. And I had this experience, yeah, 2016, I went over to the States and I was running a retreat over there. And I was lucky enough to go and have some time by myself before I came home and, and we're back to life with kids and everything. And two days in a place called Sun Valley. So some a friend had a house there. Mm-hmm. And I went up this mountain, uh, Baldy, Mount Baldy. And I walked up by myself. I had a fear there was bears around because someone had said this is bear season. <laughs> so it was going quite fast. And then I got to this top bit and it was just so much serenity going by myself and joy and being up there. And other people were coming up with groups. I was this crazy person just smiling by myself. <laughs> <laughs> just being like, wow, what a world we live in. Yeah. And what a place I could just be and, and have like that reconnection. So yeah. for me, it was moments of, of, um, of me time. Beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's great. When we we're going to talk about that when you come and do the ascension course. Yeah, <laughs> we um, often talk about peak experience. What Maslow described as a peak experience, and and that is exactly what it is. And that is often like it's often nature based for people. Mm, grounding. Um, yeah, yeah, or like happy for no reason. Yeah. Just bursting with bliss. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And. You know, even in this environment, it's kind of what that does for me here. Too. I think that's why I live here. It's yeah. because I needed that nature around me. Yeah. And it is pretty extreme. If you haven't been to Glenorchy in New Zealand, yeah. look it up. It's yeah. pretty insane. We'll put, some, we'll put some photos on the, uh, yeah. on the show notes page. Yeah. And... I'm very lucky to live in a place that makes me feel ground all the time. And I have a walk that I made you go up yesterday. <laughs> Mount Judah. That's my other place where I go and ground myself yeah. weekly. Mm. And like places like this, because they're so expansive, they open up that kind of creative channel that inspirational channel Mm. do you think that helped contribute to you developing this technique i think part of it for me was that i it was space and time so not being in a in a main city where i felt Mm -hmm. like i'd have to get rushed to pull into other things that i came to an area that was isolated i had to find a way of making it work for me and you know actually in some ways it was having the kids that made me do this Mm. because it forced me to, to stop and slow down 
and a life in, in a way that would mean I had more time with him. Yeah. And I wanted to be still to live my passion. So there was there's lots of factors, but this town has done that too. Yeah. Because I can sit at my office window and stare at the mountains and go, okay, how do I put this in the way that's going to connect with people that aren't living my experience right now? What do you still find challenging? Relationships. Yeah, you said earlier your relationships. Yeah. It's broken up. Yeah, so I've had a wonderful 12-year relationship, and mm-hmm. it's quite nice to say that and experience that. And it's probably coming out of a year now of working through that process, and we're very good friends in lots of ways, which is really special to have because we've got two young kids. But we're very different people, and so for me it's kind of going, what does it look like to be connected in a, in a loving relationship that's your partner and your equal? But it's relationships with anybody. It's your family. It's That's the bit that I am working through and my patients are working through too. We all get triggered by people. Mm, that's yeah. That's what makes us feel good and it makes us feel great. Yeah. So. You know, and family is a big trigger because they know you so well. Yeah, and you'll laugh at this one. So I just did, <laughs> I did a blog the other day for my work one that was about toxic family interactions. And so this is, didn't come out probably the best timing because I put it out <laughs> just after Christmas. And you had your whole family. I had my whole family here. <laughs> Literally have five siblings. I'm one of six kids. Yeah. My mum pulled me up. I hope she's listening to this. <laughs> she's like, I think we need to talk. I was like, it wasn't about you. <laughs> and then afterwards, it's like, kind of is. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But this, you know, I went through the phases of, you know, we get the tensions and people get tired and family. And you go back to being like a 13-year-old. Yeah. And it was really funny. And they had people, you know, emailing me over that time going, I'm so glad you wrote that blog. It really helped me get through Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. I went, see mum. <laughs> it wasn't about you. But yeah, so my, my thing is relationships and helping people navigate it. Yep. Breathing is one way of dealing with the emotional process. Yep. And if you can do that, then it's like, okay, I can breathe out. And that's my, my one main thing is when someone comes into a relationship or an experience where they're struggling, it's learning to exhale. Drops you into your parasympathetic nervous system. Yes. Your calm, starting nervous system, which can allow you to get through it without reacting. Mm. And then you are in control of it a bit more. So then you can process and be yeah. much calmer to that other person. Um, and tell us about a time you did something courageous. Oh, I feel like I had one recently, which sounds weird. Oh, actually, <laughs> this is going to sound a bit ego-based, but it was actually getting on TV. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and I was packing myself. <laughs> I had to go on, was it Good Morning or something? Yeah, National Breakfast. National Bre- Breakfast TV, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it's all about kind of stepping up and putting yourself in there and going on to talk with Pippa West. We still, you know, Whipsaw, she's, I can't say her name. Pippa. <laughs> Beautiful Pippa. Beautiful Pippa. She was wonderful and it was really nerve-wracking. And so this person is supposed to be the breathing person. I got there like an hour and a half earlier than I should be, like trying to get there before the Auckland traffic and then getting out there and going, I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't know what I'm doing here. How can I tell people that this is this is going to be helpful when I've just been through my roller coaster in life? I'm not trying to fake it. I know mm. that this is a part of it. Yeah. But how do I say in four minutes that there's ways of looking after yourself better? Yeah. And um, so I got through it, and it was good, and I had some really good feedback. And you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely out of my comfort zone. We'll put a link to it. <laughs> Yay. I'm going to own it. Yeah. Yeah, and you should. How did that happen? Um, good people, actually. Really good people and relationships. It was my connection <laughs> through Glenorchy. And that's what's so great about the world these days yeah. is you can live in a place like this that's actually pretty remote. And yet oh all God. sorts of interesting people doing yeah. different things. Yeah. 
like media and film and art art photography and art is what shows is really coming up in this town and you know going back to basics like a friend of ours that's doing all the gardening and just teaching people how to be more conscious of how you live yeah it's Mm. almost like being yeah aware of the earth and its energy and yeah and that's see i'm pretty black and white yeah (laughs) i am pretty black and white i know that's been my background so to change I've had an experience the last few months, really, with the summer solstice. Yeah. And I I didn't think there was anything in there, but I did a woman's circle, like a gathering of friends, and we did some meditation, and it was really wonderful. One of the women, women in town ran it, and I walked in the room, maybe eight of us sat down and went, oh, wow, okay, this is crazy. What's happening? And they were like, <laughs> it's the energy. I was like, this is okay, I believe, I believe. <laughs> and it was a really wonderful meditation experience because of what was happening in the world and I don't understand it and you don't have to understand everything you don't and then another one where we danced up at Araha the health retreat and a friend of mine was running this beautiful ecstatic dance and again I'm exploring those I'm finding out how you move your body and and experiencing that and it was insane the energy and being outside and dancing and exploring how do you find dancing I love it like I dance like a crazy person with my kids yeah so they they rock it out with me if I can you know every few days because yeah. it helps me release energy and it helps them and connect and be especially with the, the little boy who next he loves to explore that way yeah and then going and doing the ecstatic dance like the, I think it's they talk about like five rhythms it's different styles of it yeah. but just allowing yourself to release and connect it's pretty powerful it is mm. I've had you know it's Dance is really funny. Yeah. Especially the ecstatic dance here. That <laughs> it makes me really angry. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. I have had a moment like that again in, in, I was in the States. And my friend Sasha ran this wonderful retreat with women. And she put the song on. It was Adele's Hello. And I was like singing it out. Hello. And I was like just pissed off with the song because it brought up so much stuff of yeah. what was happening in my life at home yeah. with relationships. I was like, it's me. I'm, I'm standing here. And it was it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was really something I kind of had to persevere with. Because mm. for a start, I was always putting it outside me. I was like, mm. oh, there were too many people here tonight. Oh, I didn't like the playlist tonight. Oh, I don't like the guided part. It was always something, oh, I don't, these guys are getting in my personal space. Yep. And then I realized, hang on, there's a pattern going on here. Yep. And maybe it's not the, <laughs> maybe it's me. <laughs> but that's not my experience in meditation, though. Yeah. Like stepping into it. You, you, there's times when you're ready for it. And there's times when you're just like putting out walls or like, no, this is, sounds too eerie Or, you know, what does this even mean? I think it's stepping into anything like this where you go and challenge yourself mm. and go, who would I be if I just gave myself this experience? And try it again, and then try it again yeah. until it feels a bit more normal, yeah. less uncomfortable. And that's I had to do that. I had to, I stopped going for a while, and then I it had to be I had to be feeling particularly courageous yeah. on the day to get myself there. Yeah. Um, but I had some really amazing, powerful kind of ecstatic dance, five rhythm dance experiences when I was traveling. Did in you Spain and then Bali? Bali does some really strong. Yeah, yeah. I went to one in Bali and. I came out of there and I was just so zinned out. I was just blissed. And I crashed my scooter in about five seconds. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I just did. Okay? I just drove into a fence made of old bicycles. <laughs> so it was low speed. Like, I'd moved five meters. You're looking slow, Mo. And I just, I just didn't care. Yeah, I should be really embarrassed about this, but I just am so blissed out right now. <laughs> what if people could experience that more? Like, get out of your body and into your body. It's so good. But I had to be then. I was like, oh, I better be pretty alert. I had to kind of get 
really alert and just fully grounded again <laughs> to drive home. That's so funny. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story today and giving me a chance to have some cool conversation, talk about breathing and talk about that kind of a different style of or form of meditation. You better tell us before we go about how we can learn more and sign up and get your free five-day course and all that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. How do we find you? So the easiest way is to go and Google The Big Exhale. Big Exhale? Yep, or thebigexhale.com. Mm-hmm. And they'll take you through to the course page. Yep. And the course is over 30 days, and it guides you. It's video-based, it's got downloads, and it's me teaching you how to basically work through and understand your breathing pattern. Mm-hmm. And then you can take it into your meditation practice or your mindfulness or your yoga and your Pilates. Yeah. And they can be done over a whole year, so you've got access for a long time. It's not like you have to go, I've only got 30 days, yep. when am I going to make it work? And it's like five to 15 minutes commitment to learn it and to then practice it. So it's pretty, it's pretty simple when you get it right. Learning to chillax my breath, like the joy breathing that's yeah. in there. When you get that, it just makes things a lot easier and calmer. And so the five days free is there, but also I will set up a coupon code. So if any of the Daring to Be Happy team want to go and do it, just put in uh, Leela B. Yay! And you'll get $30 off the course. Cool. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So we'll set that up. Leela so B. <laughs> yep, that is my preferred coupon code. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured it out. <laughs> and yeah, we'll put links up everywhere for that and if we want to follow you on social media you yep. do some awesome little instagram stories True. and things don't yep. you at the big exhale at the big exhale yeah for everything facebook and, and instagram yeah easy cool and then we can see you out in beautiful Glenorchy on yeah. your paddleboard exactly we were just out there the other day with my friend sasha who i'm running retreats with and it was just yeah it's pretty cool where i live i always think you're very brave having your phone with you on your paddleboard sasha held it i was uh- <laughs> Slightly packing myself, just as like, you can do that. I'm going to sit down calmly. <laughs> She's really good at it. Well, thank you. Just to finish up, I just want to praise you, Emma, for all your beautiful goodness. I've known of you and a little just in the acquaintance kind of form for a long time, but it's been wonderful, you know, in the last few months to get to know you better and to just see all this amazing work that you're doing and to see you being courageous and putting it out into the world. And really, I think, tackling, you know, a need that that people are looking for. And like you said, there's so many different ways and channels that we can offer to people. And some are going to resonate with some and some are going to resonate with others. And But we're all ultimately trying to get people to the same point of trying to experience more health and happiness, more joy, more calm and less stress. I say the same thing to you, though. I've got so much praise for what you're doing. Doing to be happy is shaping people's lives in a way that, you know, I doubt you even do know the impact of. I know you've got big dreams and I know that there is a bigger story that you've already shared, but you will be able to help so many people with the way that you have stepped into grief and shared the knowledge and and just been there for people, just being there. So I can't wait to see that process and that's something my, most of my patients are dealing with in their lives. Yeah. So... Um, I want to see and see you step into this next stage of sharing and being and connecting because that's what I love seeing. We've got these stories and conversations is yep. what make life rich. Yeah, absolutely. Thank connecting you. Connecting and engaging with people. Absolutely. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I just think that one of my things that I really love is, and it's so simple, but is if you could just do one thing every day, obviously breathing is important, but the other one is smiling. 
Yes. I'm very much into smiling. And as much as most people don't like it and it kind of feels forced sometimes, when you can fake it, even to start off with, uh-huh. it actually turns your core muscles on. Yes. So by smiling, you actually make your body and your nervous system change the hormonal response. And I think you can do it without even realizing it. And the hardest one is to do it smiling at yourself in the mirror. Ah. So tough. So just try and do that. Every time you go to the bathroom, just do a nice one big smile and yeah. see how you feel for the day. So interesting that you bring that up because I've been working with someone in the last few weeks and we've been using that as a tool in a corporate environment. Yep. And I was doing a bit of research on it and I'm like, this is so amazing. Smileology is massive. Yeah. And for the fact that I'm a physical therapist, I'm like, no, smile. (laughs) (laughs) It connects your core. It makes everything work better. Yeah. And your hormones and everything. So. And it uses less muscles than sprouting. It does. I was saying that to someone today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And enjoy this beautiful day. Yay. So that was Emma Ferris from The Butterfly Effect. And if you would like to try her program to discover more calm, focus, and joy through better breathing, you can sign up to her 30-day program, The Big Exhale. The first five days are free, and then you can use the promo code Leela B to get $30 off the rest of the course. Thank you, Emma, for that beautiful gift. A reminder also about my upcoming Bali retreat. Registrations are open and the early bird rates are available to the 15th of July if you'd like to save yourself $400 US. If you've always dreamed of learning to meditate in a totally immersive environment amongst the peace and spirit of beautiful Bali, then this really is the retreat for you. No previous experience in yoga or meditation is required, just an open mind and a willingness to nurture your soul through luxury accommodation, daily yoga, spa treatments, nourishing food, plus the teaching of an easy and effective meditation technique from myself and fellow Ascension Meditation teacher Maria, who is from Sweden. These meditation techniques are the techniques that have profoundly changed my life and been immensely healing. They've allowed me to heal from grief, from fear, from comparison, and will allow you to take all the goodness that you experience in Bali back home with you. That I promise you. So if you'd like to learn more and register, you can go to leelab.life forward slash Bali retreat or simply get in contact with me and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions. And so with that, I want to thank you once again for listening to the Daring to Be Happy podcast and praise you for your willingness to show up, play big, be courageous, find peace and live happy.